everybody. Hey, everybody. Happy Monday. Happy Start Monday. to another good week. Yes. Here in March. You know, it's supposed to be like 72 today, but it doesn't feel like that out. Well, it's cloudy, you know. That makes that kind of makes all the difference, doesn't it? Whoa, Whoa. what am I doing here? <laughs> I hit the wrong button. I'm out of control. I don't they may not have seen that. I don't know. It may just be our board. I don't here. think so. <laughs> they see whatever's in that little window there. Anyway. So, very good. Um, yeah, we're very professional here. We are. Yeah. Top of the line. Top of the line. Top of the line. Nothing nothing mediocre for you guys. Nope. Only the best. <laughs> okay, so today we're back to our journey through Isaiah, you we know, are. which is actually it's actually going pretty well, I think. I do too. I do. Yeah. I think it's really been a good, I'm I'm enjoying the experience myself because I've never been through Isaiah like this at all. Right, right. It's only bits and pieces and this right. and that. Sort of the sort of the best of Yes, Isaiah, right? Yes, the best of. Yes, yes. And, and so, so this this is good, and that's we're just going to keep 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 at it, and um, on we go. So, let's see. Andy, let us know. They saw that. <laughs> zooming in, <laughs> zooming out. Thanks, Andy. <laughs> <laughs> they see uh, everything. They miss nothing. <laughs> That was Colonel Colonel Clink, weren't they? Yes. Th that was the sergeant, except it was the opposite. On Hogan's I see Heroes. nothing. Mm -hmm. I know nothing. Yes, on Hogan's Heroes. Yes, so going yes. back to my childhood, yes. I guess, right? Yes. So I was out at the mall for just a little while earlier with my sister, and I came back, and Scott told me that one of my little reporters that I keep up with on Fox News, Benjamin Hall, was injured today in Ukraine, and there's no word on his condition. And I have to tell you guys, I'm I'm concerned about him. I take all these little news, especially the youngsters, and I just imagine oh. I could be their moms. I, you, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you could be their moms, sure. Yeah. But you, but you would. We invite all these people into, into our, our homes. homes. We feel right? like we know That's them. It. You know, of course, they have no idea who we are out there. <laughs> But it's really, really yeah. um, been worrying me lately. They're getting, they're, you know, this. everything is picking up and picking up speed. And these guys and gals who risk their lives every day out there to show the world what's really happening. Yeah. Um, because if there wasn't these folks, I mean, you can imagine that Putin would be denying everything someday. And this we is would know proof. we would know what the people in Russia know. Yes, which is nothing. Yes. So, so. Um, I'm going to be praying for Benjamin Hall today as we get a you know hopefully we'll start getting updates. But they have offered absolutely nothing, nothing. Just that he's injured. He's in the hospital, and so hopefully, hopefully he's going to be okay. Hopefully, yeah. All right. So, I think it's probably time for us to pray. Is it? Time to start? I think so. Okay. What time is it? It's 9.06. Probably is. Oh, no, it's 3.06. <laughs> sure, 9.06. <laughs> that works. <laughs> 9.06 a.m., p.m., whatever. I okay. am still catching up that one hour. I have to tell you. Okay. It's hard. I don't know if everybody else has the same problem. But the older I get, that one hour seems longer than an hour. You adjust at the rate of about five minutes a day, I think. Okay, so okay. sometime around <laughs> June, I'll be good. <laughs> Let's pray. Gracious Lord, we are grateful to be gathered here today on this Monday to return to the book of Isaiah and, and to hear your call to be a people of mercy and kindness and justice and to understand that 
when we abandon those ways that the the consequences are terrible and we see it being played out all the time across our television screens not just in ukraine but in cities and neighborhoods at the level of nations at the level of individuals it's you you have created us to live a certain way lord and just may this journey through isaiah open our eyes to what we were really made for all this we pray in jesus's name amen amen all righty step around the side okay sounds good trying to mentally prepare myself but it's only 306 <laughs> <laughs> not 906 i don't know if you met a.m. or p.m. or what? Okay, everybody. Oh, so there's we're... a nice little message there from Jamie. Yes. Because Jamie um, had asked us last week, and we did pray for uh, Tommy, and he had very successful Good. surgery, she Good. said. He's doing well, and we are going to continue to pray that um, he has a quick and complete recovery. Yeah, I noticed Jamie used the word uneventful. Right? You that is really such a good absolutely. word. That is really the word you always want. It's just an uneventful surgery, an uneventful recovery. It just yes. goes, all goes according to plan. Yes. So we're grateful for that. Hopefully, Tommy will just get feeling better and stronger with the passing of each day. So, my friends, we are in chapter 9 of Isaiah. So let me just, a little bit of, of oh, well, first of all, before I get started, please let people know who are part of the Tuesday class that next Tuesday, not tomorrow, a week from tomorrow, we are going to be back in Peril Hall. We will still be online, but we will be back in Peril Hall. And I was down there this Sunday teaching for Lauren, who was out sick in her nine, uh, for her 930 class. Everything down there is all nice, a new carpet, new walls, new paint. It's all very nice down there, and we will um, resume the, the in-person part of the Tuesday class uh, next week. So the Monday class, the one that's right here, this is going to stay online, and it's just uh, because of, you know, how much I think I can, I can do. So that's it. So, all right, to Isaiah. So we are in Isaiah chapter 9. Isaiah chapter 9 begins with this messianic section, and that's the way the Christians understood it. Um, you could glance back at it. Wonderful counselor, mighty prince, right? The, these sections that are used in Handel's Messiah and just read from every year of Christmas time, this expectation that one day God would raise up a true king, a rightful king, who would put things right, who would put things right. And I don't really know People guess how it was read or understood in Isaiah's day, but clearly for Christians, for Matthew, Jesus is the fulfillment of what we read in Isaiah 9, verses 1 to 7. And just one of many, many reasons why Isaiah can be read as Christian scripture. It's just so many ties. And I don't know that we'll get to the next one today, um, but there's another another famous one coming up here. So another one of those what did we say a best of, yes, <laughs> Patty. Yes, <the> another <laughs> one of those another one of those favorite bits. Yes. Okay, so I want you, I want I want to sort of get up in the helicopter for a minute, 
And we're going to go back to verse 8, where God is going to again be talking about Israel and Israel's abandonment of God. And the focus is on the northern kingdom. And we read the first section of this last week, but we're going to go back and start there. Um, and I said last week that, yes, the focus is on the northern kingdom of Israel, but really the southern kingdom of Judah has the same, much the same problems. They're better ruled. They actually have some, some kings in the southern kingdom of Judah who get good report cards um, for leading the people toward God, but they still are inclined to make very bad decisions. So look, just kind of open your Bible or your iPad or whatever you use and look at verses 8 to um, 12. And this is chapter 9. Chapter 9. And look at verse 12. At the end of verse 12, it says his hand, in the NIV, his hand is still upraised. In the NRSV, it's more like reaching out or reaching up, but that's the idea. His hand is still upraised. This is, this is the hand of judgment is what this is. And then look at verse 13 and go on all the way down to the end of verse 17. And what do we see? His hand is still upraised. And look at verse 18 and go all the way down to verse 21. And what do you see? His hand is, His still, hand is, still, is still upraised. And then go to chapter 10 and go down to verse 4. Mm -hmm. And what do you see? Same thing. Really. His hand is still upraised. So there are four, there are four sections here that have a constant theme to them, and they are about God's anger with his own people. And we're going to talk in just a little bit about suffering and what we can say about suffering and maybe something about what we can't say about suffering. Um, but God is angry with his people. And he's angry with his, his, his anger is never capricious. It's never undeserved. It, it is an anger that stems from the people's unwillingness to be a people of justice and mercy and kindness and to, to look after the weak and to look after the foreigners in their land. That's, that's the reason, because you see at Mount Sinai, hundreds and hundreds of years before, they said that they would be. That was the covenant that they had made with God. God, God didn't force them to enter into that covenant. Three times they're asked in the book of Exodus, are you ready to sign on? And of course they say, yes, 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 in all their enthusiasm. But they prove unwilling to do so. And... Their embrace of sin, which is which is that which isn't holy, right? Which is, we could talk about lots of forms sin, sin takes. Unkindness, lack of compassion, injustice, inequity, right? Yes. So, their embrace of sin is going to make a wreck of 
God's people as a nation. The same way, the same way, our own embrace of sin as individuals often makes a wreck of, of our lives. That's, that's the common sense wisdom in the book of Proverbs. The book of Proverbs is a pretty commonsensical view of life that says, look, <laughs> grow up, marry a good person, work hard, stay disciplined, keep yourself focused on God, stay in the scriptures, pray, be kind to others, so the list goes, and you are, you are more than likely, very much more than likely to have the kind of life that God desires for us. You may not attain the riches of this world. You may not be the next, you know, person on the billionaire list, but that isn't God's hope for us. That might be our hope for us, but that isn't God's hope for us. God doesn't care whether Israel is a mighty kingdom above all other kingdoms in terms of money and wealth and power and influence and strategic importance and armies and the rest. That isn't what God's focused on for Israel and Judah. He wants them to be a faithful people, a different people set apart for something else. So he's angry with them. It is a righteous anger. And they are going to, as Ezekiel brings it so well when he says, when, when God says to Ezekiel, I'm going to, to turn their sins back on their own heads. They are going to reap the consequences of this. Now, you're going to find in this upcoming section that that, is that, that turning back is expressed as God raising up these nations around them to, to wipe out the northern kingdom of Israel. And I think the reason that is, is because for the ancients, God is the cause, first cause of virtually everything that happens in life. Why, why is it cloudy today here in Frisco? Well, for the ancients, it would be, well, 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 well God made it cloudy. If it's going to rain later, well, why does it rain later? Because God made it rain later. They, it's just how they understand everything around them. And so, but regardless of the mechanism, they, under, they, they, they will come to understand that it is their failings that lead to their own downfalls. It's their failure to be God's people as God intended them to be that will lead to their downfall and will create the need for whom? for a savior, for a rescuer, for Jesus. In the course of this Isaiah study, we will come back and come back and <laughs> we come back and back. We will come back again and again <laughs> <laughs> to to these larger themes cuz you this is how it this is how it all ties together. Right? Jesus is a solution to a problem. We're going to be reading about the problem. That's that, that's the deal. Okay, so let's just look at verse 8 of chapter 9, and we'll start in on the first one of these sections. We did read it last week. Can't hurt to read it again as a warm-up. We it, It's going to go fairly quickly because it's, it, it gets a little bit repetitive until we get a little later into it. The Lord has sent a message against Jacob. 
That would be the larger people. This message will fall on Israel. That's the northern kingdom. All the people will know it. Ephraim and the inhabitants of Samaria, who say with pride and arrogance of heart, well, you know, the bricks have fallen down, but ah, we're mighty. We will, we will rebuild with dress stones. It'll be better than it ever was. The fig trees have been felled, but we, we will replace them with cedars, right? We have the world in our hands. We're mighty. We can, we can do anything. Verse 11. But Yahweh has strengthened Rezin's foes against them and has spurred their enemies on. Arameans from the east, Philistines from the west, have devoured Israel, the northern kingdom, with open mouth. And they were arrogant. They thought they were above all of that kind of trouble. And they were devoured. Eaten Scott, up. what does Resin's uh, foes, what, what, are, what are exactly are we talking about there? Has the Arameans from the east, the Philistines from the west, the Assyrians from the north. Resin is the king. Okay, sorry, I just had yeah. a little brain freeze there for a minute. It's okay. I think I, I, th I thought I had, well, I don't know, may not, I may not have that slide anymore. Let me go see what I have. Let's not, because it's not on there. Okay. So the foe, the whole story is that you have these foes gathered around Israel, and their Israel is all arrogant. They don't think they need God anymore. You know, when you're when you're set and fat and happy, it's easy to think you don't need God for anything. You're smart, you got a lot of money in the bank, you're healthy, everything's looking good. Boy, it's easy to think you don't need God for anything. That's that's where the these Israelites find themselves so often. And it's not a new story, it goes back to the time of Amos. When he came to them like 860 B.C. and he said, Ah, you, you're, you're like a bunch of fat cows. You're just all fat and happy. You don't understand, you know, that you are sowing the seeds of your destruction. So, yeah. So, the Aramean, look at verse 12. Arameans from the east, Philistines from the west, they have devoured Israel with open mouth, yet for all this his anger has, is not turned away. His hand is still upraised. The, the, the story is not over. I mean, Isaiah's looking back at the destruction of the, Assyri of the northern kingdom. It's, it's, it's not over. It's not over. But the people have not returned to him. The him is God. The people, but the people, despite all this, the people have not returned to him, to God, who struck them. Okay, this is God's judgment carried out by these foreign powers. Because God has allowed their sins to be turned back on themselves. Verse 14, wait, verse 13. But the people have not returned to him who struck them, nor have they sought Yahweh Almighty. It's so much like in Revelation when time and again 
The world falls in on people and they still will not repent. They will not repent. They will not repent. They will not repent. They are just stubborn. And here the people are stubborn. They won't return to God. Verse 14, So Yahweh will cut off from Israel both head and tail, both palm branch and reed in a single day. The elders and the dignitaries are the head, the prophets who teach lies of the tail. They're the leaders of Israel. Those who guide this people mislead them, and those who are guided are led astray. It isn't, it isn't only the leaders who are guilty. They're allowing themselves to be led astray. To use a rip from the headlines. You know, a lot of the Russian people are allowing themselves to be led astray in this. I just think of that young woman, who a young Russian woman who is living in Ukraine. She's Russian. She's living in Ukraine and she can't convince her mother that it's actually happening because her mother is simply buying all of the Russian propaganda. And, hmm. People are responsible for themselves. So, verse 17. Therefore, Yahweh will take no pleasure in the young men, nor will he pity the fatherless and the widows, for everyone is ungodly and wicked. Every mouth speaks folly. So what is, what is Isaiah saying? He's saying, everybody's part of this. Don't think you're excluded. Don't think you're somehow above all of this. This is a nation which has abandoned God. And everybody's caught up in this. The rain falls on the wicked and the virtuous. Right? Everybody's going to going to get swept away when the ten, when the 10 northern kingdoms northern tribes are swept away they just disappear they're not all killed but they're replanted and other people are brought in and put into the land it's a terrible thing um, but as i say in other contexts we are responsible for the decisions we make So, all right. So there's two of the stanzas done. Okay. Verse 18. Surely wickedness burns like a fire. It consumes briars and thorns. Right? It sets the forest thickets ablaze so that it rolls upward in a cloud of smoke. When you set a fire in the woods, it burns up everything. Trees, briars, thorns, um, it burns up everything. I was I was caught in a grass fire of all things one time in South Texas that was just rolling across. I mean, it was, I don't know how fast it was moving, but it was not something you could really outrun, driven by the wind. Wow. Just consuming everything. Verse 19, by the wrath of the Lord Almighty, the land will be scorched and the people will be fuel for the fire. They will not spare one another. On the right, they will devour, but still be hungry. On the left, they will eat, but not be satisfied. 
each will feed on the flesh of their own offspring. Uh, you know, it's these dramatic, yes. Wow. Are they, I guess they're hyperbolic. I don't know. People can be driven to doing the most awful things in the face of starvation and war and famine. Manasseh will feed on Ephraim and Ephraim on Manasseh. Those are the two biggest of the northern tribes. There are ten up there. Um, let me go to the map for a second here just to make sure we're all together here. There's the... the there's the map. This is the map before the world starts, before these nations start to fall in on the kingdom of Israel. And there are 10 tribes that make up the green, <laughs> the green, the nation of Israel. And the two biggest are Manasseh and Ephraim. Um, those are the tribes of the two sons of Joseph of the Magic Technicolor Dreamcoat fame. Okay. Manasseh will feed on Ephraim, back to 21. Manasseh will feed on Ephraim, and Ephraim on Manasseh. Together they will turn against Judah, that's the southern kingdom. Yet for all this, his anger, God's anger, is not turned away. His hand is still upraised. Chapter 10. Now God is going to get specific about how his people are failing to be his people. They think they want to be strong and mighty in the ways of the world. They want to conduct their affairs in the ways of the world. Remember Ahaz want, wanted to go to and make a, make a treaty with another nation to try to protect the southern kingdom and what he should have done was turn to God. He didn't turn to God. That's their problem. They don't turn to God. They go their own way. They think they know better. And it's a story that's just repeated over and over and over and over and over again in the Old Testament. And we can still make these same mistakes now. So chapter 10, verse 1, Woe to those who make unjust laws. It isn't, this is Martin Luther King Jr. It isn't enough to say, to have laws. The laws have to be just. If the laws are not just, the laws need to be disobeyed. And he's right. You know, Martin Luther King knew his Bible really well. Very sound theologian. When you read his letters and you read his sermons, just simply saying, well, that's against the law. We have to keep the law. Well, no, no, not if the law is unjust. Then, then good people will stand up against that law. As indeed, there were many unjust laws in the South that I grew up in, in the 1950s. Um, so, woe to those who make unjust laws to those who issue oppressive decrees. To deprive the poor of their rights and withhold justice from the oppressed of my people. 
making widows their prey and robbing the fatherless. Constant, constant theme. Goes back even before the law, law of Moses, but is spelled out in the law of Moses. The need to care for the widows, the needs to care for the orphans. That that strange word processing term we use about leaving, you know, widows and orphans at the bottom of the page, the little line that's left over and you can't decide whether to put it one line on the next page or squeeze it into the already too full page. That's what it comes from. This whole phrase about taking care of widows and orphans that we use in life. Well, that comes from the Bible. It comes from this and it should be a reminder of our responsibilities to take care of the oppressed, to pursue justice, to lift up those who can't lift up themselves. It, 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 it is not always enough to say, well, people just have to pick themselves up by their bootstra bootstraps. There are sometimes a lot of difference in the bootstraps that people have. And in the ancient world, the two groups that were at greatest risk of not surviving were widows and orphans. Widows because... They were women trying to survive in a starkly patriarchal world, and that's why they had laws and customs. A woman dies... Wait, a <laughs> start over, Scott. A woman's husband dies. She is supposed to be taken in by the husband's brother. It's called leveret marriage. It's That's the way it's supposed to work. Why? Though she has a protector. She has a home. She has a, she has a place. Um, orphans. We live in a world in which, which children are elevated. It's all about the children. Everything's for the children, we hear. That's not the angel world. The angel world, children were seen generally in society, at a societal level, as a nuisance. Mouths to feed that couldn't help produce what the food. So they died young. Half of the children didn't live past age five. How attached could you really get as a mother or a father? You're always living with the expectation that some of the children you have won't, won't make it. It's a very different world that they lived in than, than we live in. And yet God's called for justice and, and uh, protecting the poor protecting the widows, lifting them up, that just rings out from the beginning of the Bible to the end. From the beginning to the end. Even, even when Mary, Jesus' mother, goes to visit her cousin, Elizabeth, and there's this song that the music, box music is set to, it's called, so it's called the Magnificat, because that's the first word in the Latin version of the Bible. When she, when she sings or says this song to Elizabeth, Go back and look at it in Luke chapter 1. Same thing. God is going to lift up the poor and the needy and the oppressed. That's, that's, that's the first order of business for the Savior. First order of business. And so, anyway, yeah. Verse 3. What will you do 
on the day of reckoning, God asks his people, when disaster comes from afar, to whom will you run for help? Where will you leave your riches? Hmm. Gosh, you know, again, I just, my mind is so much, you know, in Ukraine now, are, are those, what are, those people are fleeing with at best one small rollerboard and that they often have to leave behind. What do they get to take with them? Nothing. What might they lose in this? Everything. The northern kingdoms lost everything. The expectation is that the world is going to fall in on Judah. Why would the Assyrians stop? You know, why would they stop? Verse 4, nothing will remain but to cringe among the captives or fall among the slain. Yet for all this, his anger is not turned away. His hand is still upraised. For all this, Jeremiah, a hundred years later, will stand in the gates of the temple and say to the people, you cannot come here and say, oh gosh, we're safe. This is the temple of the Lord. This is the temple of the Lord. This is the temple of the Lord. And while you are taking advantage of the widows and orphans and pursuing injustice and pursuing oppression, you can't do that. So the prophets were constantly calling the people back to God and God's ways and taking them to task for the choices that they were making. That's what's happening in all of this. And of course there is a lot of suffering because the northern kingdoms are swept away. So when I was working on these four stanzas that we've read through and, and the suffering that all that entailed, it, I thought we'd take a few minutes today and talk about, talk about suffering because it's one of the topics, of course, that I get more questions about than almost any other. Um, so I brought a slide, I think. Yes? Okay. So I, this is a list. This is not my list. This is um, a list put together by Terence Fredheim, who is an Old Testament professor, one of the best people to go to to help you make sense of the Old Testament. And he, he wrote, he's written extensively about suffering. Um, the suffering of God, individual suffering, trying to help us grasp the larger sense of the biblical view of suffering. And he put together this list. And he said, you know, these are the explanations that, that you will hear from people about suffering. So let's just kind of, and he's right on because I've heard most of these. Suffering is the will of God. Okay. Hmm. Hmm. First item. Every place in this list where it says God, you could substitute the name Jesus. Jesus is God. You can't draw a line that way. God's will is Jesus' will. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So the first line could read here, suffering is the will of Jesus. Do you buy that? 
I don't. I don't, but boy, it's just amazing just switching the name. It is amazing it switching is. the name, isn't it? It is. So to that's me. a little that's a little something I I don't know. It just occurred to me maybe not too long ago that when I come to these kind of statements about God and who God is and if you will substitute the name of Jesus, it will be a revelation in terms of helping you understand what you're willing to say about God and what you're not willing to say about God. So, because a lot of us grow up, I mean, what kind of, what what image did I grow up with of God? Okay, so I had God. What, who was God? This big, massive, white-haired, bearded old guy on a throne like on the ceiling of the Sistine Chapel. And he was intimidating and... Waiting to smite little Scott. Fearful and waiting to smite little Scott. And if I ever doubted it, some of my, well, people who went to other churches would put little pamphlets in my hand to reinforce that idea. That if I didn't straighten it up, I was going to get smited. And I think a lot of people grew up with that idea. There's a lot of people who grow up with big father problems, sadly, it's true, and they transfer that to God. They transfer that to God especially the first person of the Trinity, God the Father. And and it's sad because I just put the name Jesus here and it's, no, I just don't, I don't buy it. Suffering is not the will of Jesus. Suffering has been sent by God for a purpose, been sent by Jesus for a purpose. You know, the problem with that one is, does God really need to send us suffering? Isn't there enough? Don't we do enough of it to ourselves? Sure seems like it. Sure do. seems like it. I mean, really, really, does, does God need to concern himself with, like, using suffering to teach us a lesson? We, I mean, we, do, we can learn things from it. I was diagnosed with cancer six years ago, and I do feel like I've learned from it. I feel like I'm a more... Um, sympathetic and empathetic person for it. I I probably appreciate life more than I might have even six or seven years ago. Maybe I appreciate even Patty more than I, I did six or seven years ago. And I would not have thought that was possible. But that doesn't mean it has to be something sent to us. Because, gosh, there's plenty of it to go around. Plenty. It's a big... There's a big pot of suffering in this world, and I just don't, I just don't buy the idea that God has to send it. No, He can use it. Yeah, I get that. I've, I've used my kids' suffering as a parent, as you know, to help them. But I wouldn't, I wouldn't inflict suffering on my children. Why would God inflict it on us? God could have prevented the suffering, but chose not to. Well, you know. That's true about everything, right? But most of the suffering in the world is <coughs> suffering that we inflict on one another, a la Ukraine. Humanity is a team sport. Putin tells stories about growing up with his Christian mother. You wonder where all that went, don't you? Most of the suffering in this world is, is suffering that we inflict on one another either on 
by commission, by, by doing something, or by omission, failing to do something about it. And if, if God were to take all of that away, what we would find, I think, is that we wouldn't be human anymore. We exercise our freedom poorly, and that creates a lot of suffering. But if we don't have that freedom, then we don't really love. We aren't really capable of loving. Love um, has to be freely given. We all know that. That's, that's how we all want to be loved. We all want a love that's freely given to us, not one that we have to purchase or bribe somebody or threaten somebody. Nobody wants that. God doesn't want that. God doesn't bribe you or threaten you into loving God. You can't. Because it's not love then. It's sort of like wrapped up in the definition. So, I mean, God couldn't have prevented the suffering and leave us free creatures. Suffering is specifically allowed by God, at least for a time. Well, I hear that kind of thing. I, and again, I'm back to why, why would that be? And what is the trigger for ending the time? And I'm just kind of back where I am on number one. That no, for me at least, that doesn't that doesn't square with who, with the Jesus I find in the Gospels, with the God I find in the Bible. You know, a lot of people don't spend enough time with their Old Testament to to see in the Old Testament the God of love and faith and mercy and kindness and compassion. The God who says to his people 700 years before Jesus, what do I want from you? Rivers of oil? Countless animals sacrificed? No. I want you to love justice. I want you to do mercy. And I want you to walk humbly with me. That's what God says. So, number five, suffering is God's judgment because of sins committed. Well, yes, I mean, we've talked about this. It's, it's, it's wrapped up in the way the cosmos is put together. There is a moral order to God's creation. And as Terence Fretheim puts it so well, it's not tightly woven and perfectly logical in every case like silk is. You know, silk is real tightly woven, and what's what makes it so strong? He says, he says, no, the the order of moral causality is more like burlap. And I think that's true. Why is it that way? I don't know, but there is. I do know this: that if we lived lives consistent with God's way, we are very likely to have a life that we would find fulfilling and satisfying and filled with love and um, joy and happiness. And But we don't. We have our own ideas about how life should be lived. So, and God's judgment is the consequences of our sins, as Ezekiel puts it, being turned back on our heads. We live with the consequences of our actions, which are often... <laughs> not very pleasing to God. I know that about my own life. 
the world around me? Sure. The last, suffering is bad and is to be avoided at all costs. Well, you know what? I, my mind's take is taken right to Jesus with that one. If that were true, you and I would never have been rescued, never be saved, right? The 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 only way for J Jesus to remain faithful was to confront the evil power of this world and the suffering that those powers would inflict on him. If he had run away, would he have been the solution to the problem of our unfaithfulness? No. 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 So, suffering... There are people in Ukraine fighting for their friends and neighbors, fighting to save lives in this unprovoked war. Is that all to be avoided? No, it's like I maybe in my class I talked about this. It's like the it's maybe it's like the parable of the Good Samaritan. If a Samaritan comes along in time to do something about the man who's being beaten up and has the means to do something about the man who's being beaten up by the thieves, is he supposed to just sit on a hill and watch and see if the man survives? Or is he supposed to intervene? Well, I think he's supposed to intervene. I think evil, because we live between the times when sin and death is still with us, evil, evil needs to be restrained, constrained. And that, that's what we strive to do in a just way as best we can. But you just sit on the hillside and hope that the guy survives when I can do something about it? That doesn't, that doesn't seem like love to me. You and I saw the other day on the news this young American that, um, when I say young, probably in his 30s, and he said as soon as, you know, the fighting actually started, remember he said, I knew that I needed to be on a plane. I needed to be over there. I had to be there to, um, you know, help protect liberty and freedom. And these people were willing to fight, and I, I knew I needed to be there with them. And well, I, guess I saw him, like and it was quite, quite world. a moment. Yes. you know, really. So, it, it's kind of like yes, we're, we're God tells us to love our neighbor. God tells us, Jesus says, okay, love your neighbor. Your neighbor is a person you least suspect. Is your neighbor love your enemy? But what do I do when one neighbor is trying to kill the other neighbor? What's love in that circumstance? What's love when one neighbor is trying to kill another neighbor? Well, for me, I think the answer is you have to do what you can to stop the killing. That's what love is. But not everybody, you know, there are, there are pacifists who would disagree with that. I think they're wrong. <laughs> okay, last one. To suffer is to bear the cross. Well, that's just the truth of things, isn't it? Yes, it is. It's the way. It's the way of the world. It is, you know, suffering. And I, I think the people who, who say this are thinking specifically of suffering in the furthering of God's work, suffering as we strive to build the kingdom, um, particularly in persecution and, and so forth, 
to suffer is to bear is to bear the cross. Paul talked about his suffering, and and he talked about it in Second Corinthians eleven, I think it is, and he lists all these things that he had been through, and you you can read it and know that Paul felt that that I that bonded him to Jesus. It deepened his identity with Jesus because as Jesus had suffered for God's sake, for humanity's sake, Paul had suffered for the sake of the word of God, for the sake of this mission that Jesus had given him. So, um, you know, that that's the list from Fretheim, and his point is really a larger point, that everything here isn't wrong, everything here isn't right, and the best we can do is to recognize that the Bible allows us to, to speak into the topic of suffering. We can't explain it all, because when you get into disease and cancer and children, you're kind of just, just your mind boggling. So you can't explain it all. But we're also not left with nothing to say. So we're kind of in there dealing with nuance and ambiguity, trusting, trusting, trusting in the goodness and love of God. So, okay. And suffering is what befell the northern kingdom. It seems it's going to, and it does befall fall the southern kingdom as well and it has people across the planet from all time kathy hopkins sutherland blessed are the peacemakers yes peace with justice though that's the thing too right sir let justice roll downhill like flowing waters um scripture says so it peace yes but peace with justice they're, they're, they're like they're like bound up together because they both have to do with the, the the ordering of our world. God wants a just, peaceful world. So okay. So Lauren's glad I talked through Fredheim's list. Great book. If you want to read a book from Fredheim about suffering, focus particularly on natural disasters, he wrote a book called Creation Untamed. And you can look at Lauren for the spelling of his last name, Creation Untamed. It's like five lectures he gave, I think all at different times, but were gathered together in this one volume. We did a, I liked it so much that I talked Robert into turning it into a sermon series back in like 2012. Because it's just... Wow, these are questions which we all have. And the sad part is the answers we, we hear sometimes are answers that can make people want to turn away from God. Oh, yes, God is just waiting to smite people. What sort of God is that? Well, <laughs> you know, somebody might come up to me and say, well, how can you, how can you believe in a God who is just waiting to smite people? And I would say, well, that's not the God I believe in. That's well, not the God how, who is. How Robert has has lived this past 11 months with this very, very um, 
awful diagnosis last April of pancreatic cancer and how he has responded by writing a weekly entry to all of us. Everything is all right. Not that it's going to be all right like his book because Robert's able to find the joy and peace and love of God in all his suffering. And he's been through a lot. He's had all kinds of chemo treatments. And, and we most, can all do that. We can all do that. But Robert that. has been such an example for this congregation in the way he has chosen to go through. To handle that suffering. Yes. Really. It's, you know. Absolutely. And, and what we're reading about in Isaiah are these people who are, who are being overrun, destroyed, but God is still going to ask them to remain faithful in God, that God is going to rescue them. And that's why we're going we're gonna to get through more of this judge, judgment stuff, and then, and then we're going to get to another messianic passage, right? Because that's who God is. That's, that's how the prophets do this. They, they spend a lot of time on the problem, but they're always ready to remind you that God is a God of goodness and love who in the end, out of just a little stump, will um, bring about a world of justice and peace. Okay, so anything else over there, Patty, about all that? I just thought I'd bring all that today since these passages can be, can be awful hard to hear, I think, in a lot of ways. They are yes. for me. Yeah. So during this time, obviously things were going way wrong um, in Israel. There had to be still some core of good people. Will you talk about oh, that's that? why I love you, babe. So let's wait. I <laughs> okay. think we're gonna get. I think we're gonna get to the remnant passage. Oh, good. The key good. there, the key to what Patty's asking about, some core, theologically, is to see that there's a remnant, that there will be a remnant of faithful people. Okay. That's that's the theological idea that cuts across scripture. Okay. You yes. know, until finally, you can carry it to the extreme, and Jesus is a remnant of one, one, one faithful Jew who will truly love God and love neighbor every day and in every way. Mm-hmm. And that's enough. That's enough. So, anyway, yeah. Thank you, Patty. You're awesome. Okay, so let's look at the next section. This is Isaiah 10, verse 5. So the, uh, every, the, the four long stanzas about the hand upraised, okay, that was all about Israel's arrogance. Now we're going to, God's going to turn his sights to the conqueror, to Assyria, to the one who will be the conqueror of the northern kingdom. So let's read through that. Verse 5, woe to the Assyrian, God says, the rod of my anger. A rod is a stick. Spare the rod, spoil the child. How passe is that? (laughs) (laughs) That's what I grew up with, but I don't think kids grow up with that anymore. Woe to the Assyrian, the rod of my anger, the rod of God's anger, in whose hand is the club of my wrath. Whose wrath? God's wrath. Because for Isaiah, this judgment upon Israel is carried out 
by the Assyrians. They are the ones. They, the Israelites have given themselves over to sin, and the Assyrians are the ones who will carry out this punishment. They're gonna, the Israelites are going to reap the consequences of their choices, and those consequences are named Assyria. Verse 6, I sent the Assyrian king, that's who the hymn is, against a godless nation. I dispatch him against the people who anger me. That's his own people. A godless nation, what a condemnation by God. That's Israel we're talking about. Who is consumed with the worship of Baal and Asheroth and Asher and all these pagan idols and the rest. Book of Kings, read through the book of Kings. We'll do it in here sometime. I'll get the... It's just like, wow, are you kidding me? Yes, no, I'm not kidding you. They they turn to all these, these pagan idols. We're going to come to some passages in Isaiah that are just going to be... just going to make you shake your head in sadness. I, so verse 6, I send... I'm going to solve some of these pronouns as we read them. <laughs> sorry. So I'm 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 going to fill in some of these pronouns. This is a reminder. Tagamet. Sorry. <laughs> I send him, the Assyrian king, against the godless nation. That's Israel. I dispatch him, the Assyrian king, against the people, the Israelites, who anger me, to seize loot, to snatch plunder, and to trample them down like mud in the streets. That's what happened. But this is not what he intends. This is not what he has in mind. His purpose is to destroy, to put an end to many nations. Now, that's, that's tricky. See, this is where a little help is good. That is not what he intends. It is what God intends. The Assyrian king doesn't realize that he's an instrument of God's judgment in Isaiah 10. So the Assyrian king says, Are not I commanders all kings? Has not Calno fared like Carchemish? Is not Hamath like Arpad? Is Samaria like Damascus? He He's beating his chest. The Assyrian king is, Look how mighty I am. If you want to have a treat after class, um, go to YouTube and watch the video Ozymandias with Brian Cranston. It was used as an ad for the last episodes of Breaking Bad. It's a poem by Shelley, Ozymandias, about a big monument, stone monument, the remnants of which are found in the desert. And whoever erected it to his own glory just assumed his glory would be ever evident to everybody, but now. There's nothing but sand and dirt and a few words about, Behold what I have done, this long-forgotten king said. That's the Assyrian king. He thinks it's all about him. Verse 10, As my hand seized the kingdoms of the idols, kingdoms whose images excelled those of Jerusalem and Samaria, shall I not deal with Jerusalem and her images as I dealt with Samaria and her idols? I came for Samaria. I'm coming for Jerusalem. I'm the king of Assyria. 
Arrogance is not looked well on by God. <laughs> Whether you're an Israelite or a Syrian or an American, <laughs> arrogance is not looked kindly on by God because when you are arrogant, you are elevating yourself or putting yourself into the center of all things. And who belongs to the center of all things? God. So verse 12. Here's what Isaiah says. When the Lord has finished all his work against Mount Zion and Jerusalem, and indeed that will come, it'll be another hundred and, counting them up, another 150 years away, but it will come. He will say, the Lord will say, I will punish the king of Assyria for the willful pride of his heart and the haughty look in his eyes. Now the truth is, Assyria's empire, after, after it swept over the northern kingdoms, was really only around for about another 20 years. Um, I've got maps. Okay, so the green is the, ex the growing extent from the lighter green to the darker green of the Assyrian empire. Um, and by the middle of the... Uh, 7th century BC, it had been overrun by the Babylonians. And all you, you can see what's left by the middle of the 7th century. All that's left of Judah is this little orange splotch Wow! right there. So you can imagine, there's a good story. It's the Book of Kings about how everybody assumed that the Assyrians were going to overrun the whole place, but they are turned back. In that story of the mighty Assyrian army being turned back by God, oh, I gave it away. <laughs> I was going to ask, who do you think turned back the Assyrian army in the stories in the book of Kings? <laughs> it was God who did it. He was going to be a good it. guess anyway. <laughs> <laughs> right. So anyway, yeah, yeah, a lot, lot, a lot of good stuff in the book of Kings, but the Assyrians do not overrun the kingdom of Judah. Um, their, their demise will be at the hands of the Babylonians, but it's all the same idea. Okay. So God says in verse 12, I will punish the king of Assyria for the willful pride of his heart and the haughty look in his eyes, because don't kid yourself. You see, yes, God is the God of, of the Israelites. But there is only one God. And God, the Lord God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, is the Lord of everyone. He is Lord of the Assyrian king. There is, there, there is no other God. The Assyrian king should be worshiping the Lord God because that, for the Assyrian king, the Lord God is his God, of course. Today, 2022, Jesus is the Lord of every person on the planet. You don't have to agree with that statement to make it true. The fact that a majority of people on the planet would deny it doesn't make it untrue. The same way 
You know, there are always people who will say, well, you know, Americans who might say, well, so-and-so isn't my president or, or whatever. Well, <laughs> yes, he is. It was Bush, then it was Obama, then it was Trump, then it's Biden. Yes, yes, yes. If you're a citizen of the United States, he is your president. You might not be happy about it, but it's kind of silly to say, well, he's not my president, because he is. Denying Jesus' lordship is the same thing. He is everybody's lord. He is Putin's lord. Putin will answer to him one day. He may laugh in your face if you tell him that, probably would, but that doesn't make it untrue. It doesn't make it untrue. That's the Christian claim. So God says in verse 13, by the strength of my hand, wait, okay. So the for he says, pronouns again, the he is the Assyrian king. For the Assyrian king says, by the strength of my hand I have done this. And by my wisdom, because I have understanding, I removed the boundaries of nations. I plundered their treasures like a mighty one. I subdued these kings. As one reaches into a nest, so my hand reached for the wealth of the nations. People gather abandoned eggs, so I gathered all the countries. No one flapped a wing or opened its mouth to chirp. Dot, dot, dot. I, the Assyrian king, are the greatest of all time. Then God says, well, does the axe raise itself above the person who swings it? The Assyrian king is no more right now in this instant an instrument of God's wrath. Or the saw boasts against the one who uses it. As if a rod were to wield the person who lifts it up, or a club brandishes the one who is not wood. Therefore the Lord, Yahweh Sabaoth, it is, will send a wasting disease upon his sturdy warriors. Under his pomp, a fire will be kindled like a blazing flame. The light of Israel will become a fire, their holy one a flame. In a single day it will burn and consume his thorns, his briars, the splendor of his forests and fertile fields it will completely destroy as when a sick person wastes away and the remaining trees of his forest will be so few that a child could write them down. If you interviewed the Assyrian king on CNN, he would tell you, yeah, this is my world and I'm going to be here for a very long time. And what is it? A few decades later, he's toast. He's history. Kingdoms come and go. Nations come and go. But God does not. God's people endure. So, I. So, so let's just read on just a little bit, because you, you, you want, you want something at this point, right after everything. Something I can't. Positive, I please. can't leave you here. <laughs> In that day, the remnant of Israel, the survivors of Jacob, will no longer rely on him who struck them down, but will truly rely on Yahweh, the Holy One of Israel. A remnant will return. Return what? Return, return to God. A remnant of Jacob will return to the mighty God. 
Notice how in verse, uh, oh gosh, somewhere up above, if you look up above, the Assyrian king calls himself the mighty one. He's not the mighty one. It's God who is mighty. Verse 21, a remnant will return, a remnant of Jacob will return to the mighty God. Though your people be like the sand by the sea, Israel, only a remnant will return. Destruction has been decreed, overwhelming and righteous. The Lord, again in this little, little almost formulaic name, Yahweh Sabaoth, Yahweh Almighty will carry out the destruction decreed upon the whole land, but there will be a remnant. There will be a faithful remnant. The Bible is perfectly willing to confront the truth of sin. And sometimes we shrink away because we don't want to admit the truth of sin. We live in a time when people do not want to admit the truth of sin. They don't want to admit that there's something wrong with them. Something wrong with each of us. That there is a darkness in our hearts. Hopefully, maybe this horrifying episode with Russia and Ukraine will, will remind people, at least of that, that there is that darkness still stalks the land. And, and a portion of that darkness resides in our hearts. And we call that, we call that sin. So we will, we will come back to about that place next week. And when we come to, to chapter 11, it's going to be another famous, you will recognize it, famous messianic passage. So I appreciate your bearing through all of today. I knew when we did I see, honey, this is what I knew we would hit in Isaiah. Some of these, these long spots. pieces of Isaiah about God's judgment. So what do we do with them? We try to understand and hear God explain where they went wrong. Mm-hmm. Right? Their abandonment of justice, their abandonment of the oppressed, their abandonment of the widows and orphans. That's really what we need to hear. We do. And it's always there in these passages. So, anyway, there we go. Okay. Very good. Yes. 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 It still boils down to love God, love others, doesn't it? Yeah. But what does that, how does that actually play out, right? What is that, what, what is, and that's what so much of the Bible is about, is helping us understand, well, here's what it means to love God. Here's what it means to love others. And we still wrestle with it, don't we? We do. What do we do when, when one neighbor's who we love kill, is killing Oops. another neighbor? I'm sorry, I'm not fixing this very well. <laughs> there I am. They're getting dizzy out there. I know, I'm sorry about that. That's okay. All righty. All righty. Okay, so, it's over to you now, babe. Okay, we're just going to close in prayer. I hope you all have a wonderful evening. Um Hope to see some of you tomorrow at noon for the Gospel of John. Gospel as we of John. Continue to plunge on through there. Yes. Alrighty. So let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we do thank you, Lord, for this time we get to be together, for the freedoms, God, that we have living in our country, for this freedom to be able to worship you and to study your scripture, Lord, and to 
have a little bit deeper knowledge of you and your son Jesus. We pray, God, today that you would just watch over this world. We know, Lord, right now things are things really are a mess, and we know that you cannot be very happy with us as human beings, that we've once again we're in this horrible, horrible place. Horrible place. Um, we just pray, God. We pray today for um, there to be peace in Eastern Europe, especially in Ukraine. We pray for the world leaders, Lord, right now. Um, gosh, we pray, God, for your wisdom and your discernment to fill each one of them. And we pray, God, we pray that for, for Putin. We sure do. He doesn't realize, Lord, how much he needs you in his life. We pray for you to soften his hearts and the hearts of those that are, you know, right now in, in agreement with him in other parts of the world. It's um, a scary time for a lot of people right now, Lord. We know that there are millions of people that are right now homeless and immigrants and, and are those people that are just kind of trying to find a new home and a safe place to be. We thank you, Lord, for all those that are showing right now the world what it is to be a good Samaritan, to be those that are clothing and feeding and helping those others from the Ukraine that are suffering so deeply right now. We do pray, God, for all the correspondents from around the world who are trying to show us live what's really happening so that, you know, a big drape cannot be put over this. And, and some at some point in time, people say this never happened. And we just pray, God, today specifically for your healing of Benjamin Hall. We have no idea, Lord, what condition he's in or what happened today, but we leave him, God, in your hands. And Lord, we just also wanted to thank you once again, Lord, for taking care of Tommy Lee, getting him through the surgery last week. And we just pray, God, that his body would continue to heal and heal totally and completely, Lord, over the next few weeks. And that he'd be a good patient and listen to his <laughs> wife, Jamie, as she is trying to help him fully recover. We love you, Lord. We are so grateful, God, to be your children. And we pray today, Lord, everything in the name of your risen Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. And if I could add one thing? Please. Okay, so tomorrow, we're in John's Gospel. We're going to begin the story of how God entered into the suffering in this world. Wow. Right? Yes. So I should yeah, I should have brought more yeah. about that out but because we're approaching Jesus' um, crucifixion crucifixion right so that is god entering not exempting himself from the suffering in this world but confronting and enduring yes. the suffering in this world so okay anyway tomorrow at noon for those who want to come bye friends be a part. otherwise isaiah next monday, monday. <laughs> <laughs> three o'clock i don't know what i'm and doing sunday at 11 yeah, yeah all of it bye guys bye guys adios